Thank you. There's two parts to a couple of those songs that we sang. One, just uh, thine eyes diffused, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Um, you know, in the midst of my circumstances before I, I came to Christ, um, you know, it probably looked a lot different uh, from an earthly standpoint, but that song singing from a heavenly standpoint, uh, in the muck and mire of my, of my sin and the difficulties that I created in my own life and, and just the world continuing to turn, but, but there at that place... September 24th, 1995, God's eye diffused a quickening ray. And uh, I, I was translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. Amen. I, was, uh, I was brought from spiritual death to life. Absolutely nothing that I did, nothing that I deserved, just... God's amazing, amazing grace. And as we sang, um, my chains fell off. Um, my heart was free, and I went forth, and I followed Him. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the exact same thing that happened to you. And if you don't know Him, that's the exact same thing that can happen to you even this very day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, and that just simply means that Christ has come the payment has been made, it's been accomplished, it's finished, and, and because of that, it's, it's possible. And that happens through the power of God, which is the gospel. And we'll end there as we begin in the book of Exodus this morning. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. This is one of those chapters that when you first read it, you might say, well, okay, this is introduces me to Moses, but how does this fit in at our three questions? Which are, what does this passage teach me about God? What does this passage teach me about the plan of redemption? And, and what does this passage teach me about man? I know I mixed that up on you a little bit this morning, just keeping you on your toes. We began this journey through Exodus just last week, and Moses begins by reminding us this is a continuation don't you just hate those movies that when you're, you're engrossed in them and, and you come to the end and, and, and you're waiting for how it's going to resolve itself and then all of a sudden it just goes to the black screen or it's to be continued. It used, that's the way you used to put it on, on sitcoms and otherwise that you would get really engrossed in. Well, well, the book of Genesis is to be continued and Exodus picks up right where that is left off. We don't have to wait three years until they make the movie. It's... It's right here, the very next, the very next passage. In Hebrew titled, these are the names, and, and it's, it, we, we understand it as Exodus because the primary event that's, that's found there is this, this, this Exodus, this calling out of Egypt. God led His people into Egypt. It was just a family at that time, 73 people or so, and now there's a couple million there. And if the theme of Genesis was promise, the theme of Exodus is presence. God will bring His people out of Egypt. He'll bring them to the mountain. 
He will make covenant with them, a specific covenant that's beyond what He promised to Abraham, and it's going to regulate His presence because God is going to tabernacle right in the middle of His people, in the land. That's His intent. And there's something that's got to, that's got to control that. You don't have free access to God apart from Christ. That's what you need to get. You have no access to God apart from Christ. We are sinful and God is holy and something must mediate that. Something must regulate that and that's one of the purposes for the law to teach us clean and unclean, holy and unholy. And Genesis laid the foundation well and we saw how God makes this promise to bless mankind through Abraham and then and then Exodus is, is going to advance the promise and show how, how God will live amongst them in their midst and... God's led the people to Egypt for the specific purpose to preserve them. And, and 430 years have gone by, and, and, and now He's going he's gonna to lead them out. And you're going to pick up the story. Um, 400 years later, Joseph is dead, and all the characters you know are dead. In the very first verses, it tells us that. And, and what, what the writer wants us to understand is the curse is still in place. And then immediately... Right after that, in, in Exodus chapter 1, after it says they're all dead, we find God's promise is still, is still functioning. The people have grown from 70 to several million. And the land is filled with them, is how the, is how the text places it. But we know the only problem with that is it's the wrong land. It's the land of Egypt. And so God is now ready to move after this 400 and some years silent period, if you will. And... Um, Last week we were introduced to the antagonist, which is a king that didn't know Joseph. And then a plot was introduced, and there's three threats that were initiated to God's people. There was this forced enslavement. There was this involuntary abortion, literally partial birth abortion, and then ethnic cleansing. And, and the result of each of those threats is, is that, that Pharaoh brings against the people of God as they multi, the people multiplied and the, um, the land continues to fill with them. The exact opposite of what Pharaoh plans. And, and then in the very last, the, the decree for any Egyptian to take a, a Hebrew boy and, and exterminate him, the way God responds to that is, is he brings about a Moses, a deliverer. He will be used not only to judge Pharaoh for his wicked schemes, but who also be used to lead the children of Israel to the land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. So let's read in chapter 2, and we'll read in, in verse 1. It says, A man of the house of Levi went and took a wife from the daughter of a daughter of Levi. And so the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds in the riverbank, or by the riverbank. His sister stood far off to, to know what would be done to him. And then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the in the river, her maids walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark in the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. She opened it. She saw the child. Behold, the baby was crying. She had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. 
Then the sisters said to Pharaoh's daughter, his sister, Miriam, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, he went out to his brethren and looked at, the, at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand, buried him in the sand. And when he went out on the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did wrong, why are you striking your companion? Companion, And he said to him, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared, surely this thing is known. And when, Moses, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and when they came and drew water, they, they filled the troughs with water their father's flock. And then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered the flock. And when they came to Ruel, or Jethro, as he'll later be called, their father, he said, How is it that you've come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us to water the flock. He said to his daughters, where is he? Why is it that you've left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to live with the man. And he, he gave him Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And he, she bore him a son. And he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time. The king of Egypt died. The children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. They cried out, and the cry came up to God because of their bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and He knew them. If chapter 1 introduces us to the plot and the problem, chapter 2 introduces God's instrument of deliverance, which is Moses. In the next six chapters, God's going to outline four steps that He uses to, to make Moses fit for use. Moses is not ready to be used as a deliverer yet, even though he's 40 years old in our passage. Moses, before he can be used by the Lord to carry out Israel, to carry Israel out of Egypt and bring them into covenant ratification with him, God will preserve Moses, he'll prepare Moses, he'll call Moses, and he'll equip Moses. Equip Moses. We're going to look at his preservation and preparation today and the others when we get to the burning bush next week. Let's look at the first step. He describes here in verses 1 through 4. First step of raising up the instrument of delivery is God's preservation. 
the, the, the writer here begins with Moses' birth. He's introduced as coming from the house of Levi. Now, we're not told his parents' names or anything else about Moses' family at this point. We've learned later that Moses is not the firstborn. He's not even the oldest. He has a brother, Aaron. He has a sister, Miriam. And, and the narrator's point is, to, is just to show us that Moses is born and he's born under the sentence of death, not... Not his family lineage or who his siblings are. He just wants us to know that he's, he's born under the sentence of death. And before God can use him to deliver his people, he must deliver Moses. That's what God wants us to see. He will do that in a way that, that trumpets the, the kind of person that he uses. And the kind of person Moses must become. You just get all these details in verse 2. The woman conceived. She bore a son. She saw that he was beautiful. There's some echoes of Genesis here. When she looks upon the sun, she saw it was beautiful. There's an echo of the garden. She hid him for three months. She wouldn't hide, couldn't hide him any longer than that. So she prepares this basket covered with tar and pitch. It's an echo of the flood. She set him amongst the reeds by the bank of the Nile like God did Israel. And while Moses is the main character in chapter 2, there are three women given prominence in this first, in this first section. His, his mother, his sister, and Pharaoh's daughter. Now don't miss this. In the first two stories, the first two scenes in the book of Exodus, women are the heroes. You remember last week we talked about the, the Hebrew midwives? Moses' mother, his sister, and Pharaoh's daughter are the, are the heroines in this, in this first act. And, and they're going to teach us the kind of person that Moses must become. And it's going to be in contrast, the way they respond to the situation is going to be in contrast to the way Moses responds, which is why he, he's sent to Midian and why he stays there for, for, for some time. The first thing that we see here is the deliberate trust of, of his mother. The deliberate trust of, of his mother in, in verses 2 through 4. Now imagine what it would be like to live in fear of someone coming and taking, taking your child. I mean, not to mention the consequence of disobeying a decree of Pharaoh. I mean, at any moment, you're, you're pregnant, everybody knows you're pregnant, and obviously they can see... They don't know whether it's a boy or a girl. So if it's a girl, it can live. If it's a boy, it, it can't. And, and, and you disappear, and, and they know that, that you've had the baby, and, and there's been a period of time passing, and you know it's a boy, and at any moment, if, if, if that's found out, then, then someone's going to come and take that child from you. And, and you're going to probably die as well for disobeying a decree of Pharaoh. Moses' mother knows the consequences of both, and yet she acts in deliberate trust on God. Instead of sitting down in despair or giving up or even taking matters in her own hands, she does everything that she knows to do, and then she trusts God for the outcome. There's deliberate trust. Look at this detail in verses 2 through 3. She saw, she hid, she took a basket, she covered it, she placed the child amongst the reeds. The care in which she prepares the reed basket, the meticulous placement where he would not be swept down the river, but where he might be found. 
This is not a mother who has given up hope and left her child to die. She is acting in calculated trust where she places her son where he has the best possible chance to to live. As a mother, she does what no woman wants to do. She places him in the care of another. This is not her desire, but circumstances are ruling, not her desires. I mean, no mother, no mother worth her salt wants to give up her child. And yet, at times... Because of circumstances, out of the love that comes from a mother's heart, that's exactly what they do, whether it be adoption or whether it be here in the care of another. She puts her child out in hopes that God would, would find some way for the, for the son to be delivered. She does that as a mother, but as a believer, she's trusting God in hope that he would deliver her son just as God will use her son to deliver her and her people one day. How do I know that? Listen to Hebrews eleven twenty three, the you know, the chapter of faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. That's the faith of Moses' parents. Not just the mother, but the father is included there. By faith, this mother does this in deliberate trust. She knows she does what she knows to do, and then she trusts God for the outcome. It's an act of deliberate trust. She, she did what she could do in the trust of the Lord. And may I say to you, if you find yourself in a similar circumstance, a similar situation, where circumstances are pressing upon you, and they're forcing you to do something that you do not desire, don't forget to do the same thing. Do what you know to do, and then trust in God's promises, leaving the final outcome up to the Lord. Pray, labor, give, strive, all the while trusting God to show up. Because you're going to have two tendencies at that moment, either to give up or to take matters into your own hands. I mean, when, it, when, when the deck is stacked against you, per se, and there is no way out... You're going to have two tendencies, give up and do nothing or take matters into your own hands. And the model that Moses' mother gives here is deliberate trust. She doesn't take matters into her own hands. She trusts the Lord, but all that her hands can do, she puts her hands to doing it. That's the first woman. The second one is, his, is the faithful boldness of his sister. Look at verse 4. Just as then his sister stood far off to, to know what would be done of him. Don't, don't take that as, as a, you know, a curious little girl wondering what's going to happen. I'm sure there might be some of that there, but there's a, there's a, there's a specific purpose of why she's, she's watching. His sister doesn't know what will happen. And then whenever she figures it out, she does something that is bold and dangerous. She's not that old. Look at verse 7. Look at what she does. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I, shall I go call a nurse for you from Hebrew women that she may nurse your child for, for you? Her bravery and her faithfulness jump off the page in verse 7. No Hebrew girl, much less a slave, should be approaching Pharaoh's, anybody of Pharaoh's household, much less offering a suggestion to her, but that's exactly what she does. She's received, and in a bit of irony, she fetches Moses' mother to nurse him. 
And like her mother, she puts her life on the line for someone else she loves. And, and that takes guts, doesn't it? Can you imagine what kind of guts? I mean, you're waiting. You're laying in the weeds. You don't, the, she hasn't seen you yet, and there's a moment in which you're called to act. And it's going to take tremendous courage. And this girl, with faithful boldness, acts. Not only will following Christ take deliberate, active trust, it will also take faithful boldness. Now, I don't mean the chest-thumping kind of, of boldness. Bless God, I'm going to do it. That's not what you see in this little girl here. I mean methodical, little girl kind of, of trust that's faithful to the relationships that God has placed you, you in. It's the kind of faithfulness that causes calls you to stick and stay when, when a marriage partner messes up or remain at a church whenever it, someone hurts you deeply. It's the kind of boldness that causes you to run toward the fight and bring God's grace to it. Not run at a person and bring human vengeance or, or something else. It's the kind of boldness that leads you to not run away when the fire gets hot, but but you bring the right tools to the fight. You bring a, a faithfulness to the relationships and a boldness that causes you to, to place your trust in, in God. I want you to also notice that in her boldness, she submits to the authority of Pharaoh's daughter. She doesn't know what Pharaoh's daughter is going to do. I mean, she's just discovered in verse 6, the, the Pharaoh's daughter says out loud, this is one of the Hebrew children. And then immediately in verse 7, then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, she speaks. She doesn't know how Pharaoh's daughter is going to respond or act. I mean, we're told that Pharaoh's daughter has compassion, but she doesn't say that. You get a peek inside of her heart. So she asks, shall I go call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women? that she may nurse the child for you, question mark? She operates under the authority that God has placed over her and trusts His authority to make it happen. Now, you're going to see Moses do the opposite, and you're going to see God call Moses to stand up to the authority of Pharaoh soon. But here, it's not that time yet, and so you find this, this girl with faithful boldness submitting there is no parent, boss, spouse, king, or any other authority except that has been granted by God. And if they're misusing it, your first response should not be rebellion, but trust in God's authority. Now, there was rebellion coming in Exodus. <laughs> but right here, the first response should be trust in God under that authority. And in those cases, you leave room for God to work, and He will work. And sometimes He will work through great deliverance, where Moses, a great leader, will lead the people out. But a lot of times God works through the faithful boldness of little girls that don't thump their chests, but trust the Lord. The third woman that's introduced here is the you see this defying compassion of Pharaoh's daughter. Look at what she says. She's painted in a favorable light. Pharaoh's daughter is. Verse 8. 
Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. And then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. The story wants us to see her, her actions in progression. You go all the way back to verse 5. It's the, she came down to the river. She sees the basket. She opens it, sees the child, and here's the suspense. What will she do? She sees the child, and then the text tells us she she took pity on him. She had compassion. Now, don't miss the significance of that statement. Pharaoh's daughter refuses the decree of the king and her own father. She even says it out loud to the servant women. She doesn't even try to cover it up as if, oh yeah, this 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 is an Egyptian baby. She says... This is one of the Hebrew children. She verbalizes it. She even goes and allows a little Hebrew girl to get a Hebrew woman to nurse the Hebrew baby. And God, again, in in His beautiful irony, it just so happens to be Moses' mother. The text even tells us that she does this all because of compassion. Listen, trust and boldness will compel you or will propel you to do hard things. But compassion will, will lead you to stay. Compassion will lead you to do things, but, but the kind of compassion that's, that's, that's viewed here with, this, with Pharaoh's daughter is, is the kind of compassion that will cause you to stay over a long period of time. In following God, you may have to defy what, what even makes sense, even to your own preservation. And compassion for others will, will demand it. You know what the Lord's compassion led Him to do? Moved Him to deny Himself. And that's the kind of compassion that we're to have for others if we follow Him. Does your compassion move you to deny yourself? Cause you to be willing to lose things for others. Listen, giving up things as an act of your will is not the same as, as what this lady's being moved by here. Now, you should obey and do the right thing and then beg God for the emotions that, that go along with it. But, but, but this is genuine compassion that, that flows out of this, this daughter of Pharaoh's heart that leads her to, to be willing to lose. Whatever. I mean, that, that's, that's genuine Christianity. I mean, it may look the same whenever you turn loose of whatever is, whatever is, is, is in your clenched fist. It, it, it may look the same to someone else. Someone else may not see the clenched fist, whether it's your, your time or your money or your life or your career or whatever it is, your health, your, but, but genuine compassion that flows from the Lord, leads you to do it with, with, with an open hand. And that's what you see in this, in this woman. And the Lord uses people like that. The mother's hope, the sister's bravery, the daughter of Pharaoh's compassion, all are rewarded by the Lord. Verses 9 and, and 10, the child is saved, and not only that, he's returned to his mother under royal protection. <laughs> only God can save like that. And then the mother's even paid to take care of him. 
And then he's adopted into Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh's daughter gives him his name in verse 10, which the Lord superintends over. She says she calls him Moses because I drew him out of the water. And the, the, the name in... It has, it has two meanings. It has an Egyptian meaning and a Hebrew meaning. Um, you can hear... Uh, the Mos, M-A-S, at the end of, of Egyptian pharaohs. Um, and then the Hebrew name for, for Moses is the one who draws out. Just as Moses was drawn out of the water by an Egyptian and delivered, he will deliver Israel one day and draw them out of the land of Egypt. And he's been preserved to do that but before he can do that, God must prepare him. Let's look at the second step, which is his preparation. Verse 11. Now, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown. Well, that's kind of anticlimactic, isn't it? I mean, here he is in Pharaoh's house. He's a boy. He's a, he's a little boy. And now, 40 years have passed. We know that from Stephen's sermon in Acts. 40 years between verse 10 and 11. God preserves Moses so he can prepare him. And, and as, this, as the first scene that focuses on these three women center around those, their faithful acts, the second half is, of this of chapter 2 is going to revolve around Moses attempting deliverance in unfaithful ways. It's going to be a contrast. Moses is the hero of the story, but in this chapter, the ladies are the heroes, and, and Moses just just messes it all up. He tries to deliver in unfaithful ways. You can bring all these up at the same time, guys. He, he must learn he will not deliver by his own power. He's going to learn that he will not deliver under his own authority. And he must learn he will not deliver because of his own privilege. Not by his power, not under his authority, and not because of his, his privilege. And you see three scenes here. You see Moses taking matters into his own hand and killing an Egyptian. You see Moses trying to solve an argument between two Hebrews. And then you see Moses delivering the daughters of the priest of Midian from shepherds, and they call him an Egyptian. And those are the three things that God wants us to see in that second part. And the way Moses responds to each of those scenarios is in contrast to the way these women responded. Look, if you would at verse 11, it says, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. Moses knows he's a Hebrew, and he goes out to watch the people's hard labor. Now, he's not just passing time. You've got to be a pretty messed up dude to want to go watch slaves getting beaten, right? I mean, that's not just pastime. Moses is being intentional here. The fact that he goes out to watch them is an indication that he's being intentional, looking for an opportunity. And what he saw is not a pretty sight. Uh, chapter 1 tells us there's bitter labor placed upon him. And now he's watching 
possibly pondering, you know, why me? Why am I here? Why are they there? And one of the Egyptian masters, it says, begins to beat one of the Hebrews. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. That's the second time it's repeated that. Moses connecting to, to these Hebrew slaves. And Moses intervenes, and by his own hand, he kills the Egyptian. Contrary to what the mother does, where she works and then trusts God, Moses tries to deliver through his own power. The passage gives us an idea of what's going on in, in Moses' heart when he does it. This is not, a, this is not a, um, someone being overtaken by righteous indignation. This is calculated, just like the mother was calculated. Look at verse 12. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and then buried him in the sand. It's not the behavior of someone who commits a crime of passion. He buries the body to hide it, and God wants us to see and Moses to learn. He can deliver on his own. He must be prepared for the task that God will ask Moses to do. And Moses will soon know who can deliver, and whom he should fear. It's not Pharaoh. He also must learn that he'll not deliver under his own authority. Look at the second scene here. Verse 13. He kills the guy, hides him, his conscience is bothering him. Verse 13. And when he went out on the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. So now it's not a Hebrew and Egyptian, but two Hebrews. And, I mean, they were... They were, they were going at each other. And this is not a verbal altercation. This is an ugly situation. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And he said, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? God in that statement foreshadowing the role that Moses would play, but, but God's not called him to that role yet. And so Moses is premature in his actions. He's acting on his own authority, not on God's authority. God didn't call Moses to do this. God hasn't called Moses to be a deliverer yet. But Moses intervenes. The Israelites are right. This man is right. Moses had no authority to do what he does. And, not from God, and surely not based on his own integrity. He's a murderer. What does his sister do? What did the boldness of that little girl? She, she waited on the right moment and then boldly submitted, and it took guts. But she submitted to God in all of it. To attempt to do anything for God without being under the authority of God Never works, does it? He calls you, and if he calls you, he'll prepare you, and he'll give you the authority to carry out what you what you he's calling you to carry out. But don't go outside of the authority that God has ordained for you, or you will mess things up severely. Trust the Lord in His timing and His processes. That goes in the home, that goes in the church, that goes in work, that goes wherever it might be. Moses has to learn that it's not by his own power, it's not going to be through his own authority, and it's, 
And he's not going to deliver because of his own privilege. So Moses gets afraid. He says, surely Pharaoh is going to figure out about this. And he does in verse 15. So Moses runs off. Great deliverer and great leader. He will be. He's just not there yet. He sits, he sits down by the well. And, and the priest of Midian in verse 16 had seven daughters. And these shepherds wait until these seven girls do all the work, draw up all the water, and when they've done all the work, then these rascals come in and drive the women away and use the water that they drew out to, to water their own flocks. I mean, these, these are a bunch of jerks. And Moses stood up and helped them. He drives the shepherds away. And look at verse 19. I highlighted this when I read it. So, so they go home early. They get done early. Jethro says, their father says, how is it that you've come so soon today? You're done early. Well, what's up? And they said, look at how they identify Moses. An Egyptian delivered us. He looked Egyptian. The shepherds probably took note. But it's clear that the daughters did. Now, don't miss the significance of that when you put it in context with chapter 2. Pharaoh's daughter looks on Moses as a baby and knows it's a Hebrew child. Moses identifies himself with his brethren, and now he's called an Egyptian. And that has something to do with a lesson that God wants Moses to understand. Moses must learn that God will not deliver by might or by human authority or by privilege. Moses will not deliver because he was in Pharaoh's house, or because he, had, he was reared in the Egyptian courts, but because of the mighty hand of God. And that's important to establish. And Moses will learn that lesson in the next chapter, when he's called before a bush that's on fire, that's not consumed. And I think Moses is beginning to learn that lesson. Look at verse 20 and 21. Again, the, the writer just speeds things up. So he said to his daughters, where is he? Call him that he may eat bread. Verse 21, then Moses was content to live with the man. What? I mean, he goes from invite the guy home for dinner to he's going to live with us and now he's married. Yep, you can have one of my daughters. Bang. I mean, this is just... Because those details aren't important. But look at the detail that he puts in verse 22. And she bore him a son, and he calls his name Gershom, for he said... Moses, notice who names him. It's Moses. And notice what the name means. I have been a stranger... In a foreign land. Moses, who's called the Egyptian, names his son Gershom, which means I am a sojourner in a foreign land. And he's not just talking about the land of Midian. He is a sojourner in the land of Midian, and he's a sojourner in the land of Egypt because God has promised Moses and his people a land that is yet to come. He belongs to another people in another land. And God will do all He promises. And all of that sets up the next few verses. Look at verse 23. 
And it happened in the process of time. The king of Egypt died and the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage that they carried out. And the cry came up to God because of the bondage. And the Lord remembered His covenant. There are four words here. God hears, God remembers, God looks, and God knows. It means God is concerned. And He's moved in this passage. We don't have time to go into it. He's moved in this passage by two things. He responds to the lips of faith of the people that are crying out to God. And He responds to His own lips because He promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that He would be their God and He would give them a land. So... Verse 24, God heard their groaning. He responded to the prayers and God remembered His covenant. God responds to His own words. If you ever cry out to the Lord, He will hear and He will move. And He will respond and deliver you because of His own name. God's ear is bent through the cry of His people and God is faithful to His promises. So pray. (laughs) And when you pray... Beg God to remember what He promised. It's not that He forgets it. It's by faith. You're saying, that's where I put my trust. I'm not putting my trust, God, in how hard I pray, how much I pray. I'm putting my trust. My prayer connects me to you. I'm putting my trust in you and your promise that you will do exactly what you promised. And I need you to do exactly what you promised because I am under great hardship and burden. And the Lord hears and the Lord remembers, and the Lord looks, and the Lord knows. And then the Lord does, doesn't He? In the next few verses. I ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to do the same thing today as we did last week. Just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and It's your opportunity to respond to the Lord. The Word of God has been proclaimed and it's been proclaimed to every one of you and every one of us need to respond to the Lord. Not just be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. You have a situation that's out of your hands like this mother... You have a tendency to give up or take matters into your own hands. Have deliberate trust. Do what you can. You have a situation over your head. It may require guts, but submit to the Lord. Trust. Do you have the defying compassion of Pharaoh's daughter for people? Is your heart like it was at one point, freely moved by the sin and the the mire of other people? I mean, do you look at them and see? Do you see them the way the Lord sees them? Or do you see them as you made your own bed, you lie in it? Oh, may God give us the heart of compassion of Pharaoh's daughter. A defying compassion that would defy our own wants and desires in living for ourselves.
Because whatever the Lord does, it's not by our might or our authority or our privilege. It's by His mighty hand and His faithfulness. Let's take a few moments respond to the Lord.